And I would just encourage you, if you would, grab your Bibles to Exodus and turn to Exodus chapter 16. Teenagers, if you're here in the house and you'd like to be dismissed to the back, you feel free to go. And uh, we are going to be reading from the passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 16 in just a few minutes. So please stay with me, hang with me, and we'll actually be reading a good part of that. But it is an amazing story, one that you have heard and you probably are fairly familiar with. Okay, off we go in the message as we continue New Year's Real Solutions today, part four. All right, I found something on the ground this week, and I picked it up. I know that's probably making my mom crazy to think about the fact that I did that, but I found something on the ground. Actually, I found two somethings on the ground this week. It was kind of wet outside. Here they are right here. Two $1 bills. So that was weird. Have y'all ever found money before? I'm not talking about in your jeans. In your jeans is like, this is awesome, right? You you just think you got a pay raise. I know how that feels. But have y'all ever come across money on the ground? Now, I know some of y'all are judging me. You're like, that's not yours, Randy. You shouldn't have taken it. You know, you can't pick up money finding it on the ground. I don't know what you're thinking right now, but you shouldn't be judging me. Now, it would have been wasteful for me to just walk away. I had to have this like conversation in my head. I was thinking to myself, I wonder how many people walked right by this dollar bill or two dollar bills, I guess, laying on the ground. It was the day that it was kind of wet and rainy and stuff, and I picked him up. And you know how wet money feels? It's kind of weird, right? You're like, like wondering if, and I, and I'm, I didn't even think about COVID. I'm gonna be honest with you. I should have been thinking about how COVID was just living on these dollar bills, you know. But I picked him up. I put him in my truck to let him kind of air out. So I set him there, and I just kind of waited, right? But I picked those up. Now, I don't know. If any of you guys are having this thought right now, but some of you are probably thinking, man, I'm not sure I would have picked those dollars up. Some of you are thinking to yourselves, I would have picked it up if it were a 20, right? And maybe some of you might have thought to yourself, you know, if it really would have made my day if it was a $20 bill, you know? But I I thought to myself as I was thinking about the message today, how often we are like this. We don't care about the blessing that we've received. We don't think about the thing that we've received as being positive. We sometimes think to ourselves, if only it had been more, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't know if any of you guys are thinking that when I was telling you about my $1 bill or my $2, $1 bills or whatever, two $1 bills, but maybe you thought to yourself, well, that's no big deal, right? I mean, it's two bucks. It's not going to change your life. I wonder also if people realize that one after the other, after the other, after the other, a financial life is built on $1 bills, stacked on top of other $1 bills. Now, I'm not trying to get too corny on you here, but here's what I know. I know that if you can't respect a dollar or $2 or $5 or $10, you probably can't respect a thousand or $2,000 or $3,000 either because it's all the same basis. And I think in our world, we've come to the place where if it's not extraordinary and extravagant, then it's not really that impressive. And so I'm not really sure I'm wanting to engage. 
I've been thinking a lot about this in the vein of what I've been preaching and teaching about this book entitled Get Your Life Back. I think for most of us, when we're talking about a New Year's resolution, we'd love to say, the pastor told me there's four different things that I can do that change my life for the rest of my life, right? I mean, it'd be one more New Year's resolution that you probably don't keep, let's be honest, but... I thought to myself when I was reading this book that this was going to be what it was going to be. It was going to be a to-do list. But the truth of the matter is, is that in a lot of ways, it's almost the anti-to-do list. It's not a to-do, it's to quit more often than to-do. And I don't know about you, but I remember when COVID hit back last March and suddenly it felt like we had all the time in the world. Do you, do you remember that? It was like you were looking around going, well, what am I supposed to do? Everything in the world stopped moving for three weeks. And it felt like you had a world's worth of time. And then bit by bit, piece by piece, maybe in large chunks for some of you, everything that you thought you had an abundance of got filled up with stuff again. You notice that? Like when you thought you had this overabundance of time and mental space and energy and all this, you, you, you had that and then suddenly it just got taken up by all these things. And you probably, if you think very closely about it, you didn't go, you know what, I'm going to choose that and I'm going to put that back into my life. I'm going to choose that and I'm going to put that back in my life. And ooh, this is really, really special, so I'm going to put this back into my life. It just became a part of your life again, stuff moved in, whether you invited it or not. And suddenly you looked around and you're like, my life is full again. That relaxing few weeks or that month or so where it felt like it was downtime and nothing but downtime suddenly got filled with all this other stuff and it was never even chosen by me. It was almost as if it were chosen for me. Can any of you guys relate what I'm talking about? It just happened again. Just like it had happened to you the first time, you got a reprieve, and then it happened to you again. So I'm not trying to be judgmental because you know how I know about this stuff? This is my life and your life. This is modern life. This is just the way that it is. But here is the truth of the matter. I think for most of us, we believe that a good life is made up of $20 bills, $100 bills, these big chunks but we forget that sometimes it's just a little small thing that we do or cease to do that could make a huge impact on the actual quality of our life. As a matter of fact, John Eldridge in that book entitled Get Your Life Back, which it's up here on the screen. You can kind of put a name and a face anytime you kind of look at this. But here's what he says. He talks about how we daily fight some things. He gave a list and I wanted to just kind of give you that quick list. We daily fight pop-up ads. Some of them designed just for you. How many of you get, get stuff that you talked about and it creeps you out, right? Like the other day I had somebody send me something and it's like, Shelly and I just had that conversation 10 minutes ago, and now it's an ad on my phone. That's weird. Quit listening to me, Google, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. So some designed just for you, these pop-up ads or your texts and your direct messages, a, a bing, buzz, chirp, whoosh, alarm, whatever. 
Some of you guys are, are absolutely slaves to the notification badge. That little red thing in the corner of your app drives you absolutely insane. If the number's too big on there, it's a personal failing in your life, not forgetting that this is actually a tool, not your master, right? But think about it. Pressure to constantly engage with something. For example, maybe you've ever gotten a text and said, hey, did you see the picture that I posted on Facebook? How come you didn't like it, Right? And you're like, because I have a life that didn't involve me liking your picture. But what do you do? I'll do that right now, <laughs> right? Because you feel an obligation to engage with all the stuff that's going on that's being pushed on you. What about this? Things that we have FOMO about. The fear of missing out. We're thinking constantly about just what are we missing, not what are we enjoying or engaged with. What are we actually missing? And you know, it's an interesting thing. John Eldridge said something that I wanted to share with you. Here's a quote. He says, life picks up momentum like a car on downhill ice. And it's just so easy to just go with it. The pace is addictive. I'm going to stop right there. The pace is addictive. How many of you know that the pace of life can get addictive? It's weird when it stops. If I literally stop talking for 20 seconds right now, It'd be the only quiet that you've experienced in a handful of days for many of us. It would be strange and you'd be like, how long is he just going to sit there and look at me, right? Well, it's 20 seconds, but it felt like two minutes. Why? Because it's so foreign to us. The pace is addictive. It gives us a false sense of purpose. <laughs> many people are defined by the busyness of their schedules. If you don't believe me, next time somebody says, hey, are you busy right now? Tell them, no, you won't, you won't do that. Why? Because if you do, they're going to fill your space for you. Can I get an amen, right? Especially, uh, I started to say something that was going to get me in big trouble when Shelly and I were alone, so I'm not going to say that. But just saying, all right, this false sense of purpose, like I'm important because I've got a busy schedule and I never have downtime. All right, all right, whatever. This is the modern world we're living in, and you feel like, oh, I'm important if I never have downtime. Or whenever somebody says, hey, are you busy? And you're like, uh, I'm not, but I don't want to look like I'm lazy. Right? Like seriously, like actually just taking a breather for 30 minutes when you're working a full-time job all the time, like that 30 minutes makes you some sort of failure. It's true. It's true. What about this? It gives us a false sense of purpose, but it also relieves us of paying attention to the deeper things. Because if you've constantly got something going on, I remember when I was a kid and I didn't have the opportunity to listen to anything in my bed. And so I would lay down. And back then, I actually took a little while to fall asleep. Now I'm just old. So I'm like out like a light. I mean, what am I doing up at this ungodly hour of 9 o'clock p.m., right? Okay, don't judge me. Love me and pray for me. That's all I'm saying. But, you know, when 9 o'clock hits, I'm ready to just crash out. But then about 3 a.m., I got to get up. I'm looking around. I'm like, hmm, now what? And boy, is it quiet at 3. At least it is at my house. And then... The thoughts that you've kept at bay kind of start coming in. And you think to yourself, hmm, now what? And so what do you do? You probably do like what I do. <laughs> Whew, that was a close one. <laughs> Let's see what else is going on in this world. 
Why do we do that? Because there is a a fear of depth and a fear of introspection that we have that our world has allowed us to push to the fringes. I'm going to talk more about that next week, but I'm telling you, there's something wrong and broken within us when we can't even have just a few moments to ourselves without it feeling like a problem. And here's an idea. If you're not sure if I'm talking to you, I'm probably talking to you. But here's some warning signs. I'm going to be honest with you. I want to ask you if this is true. And and I want to tell you something before we switch over to that, Scott, if you don't mind. Just hear me. This is not a a thing where I'm trying to say, you're a terrible person. You're awful. You need to be wonderful and godly at all times, just like I am. That's not what I'm saying at all. This is something that has been thrown to me as a lifeline. And I accepted it, and I grabbed a hold of it, and I made a change or two, and I thought, you know what? There are probably people just like me who could use that toss of a lifeline with no judgment, but it sure would be helpful for you just like it has been for me. Now, here's a couple of warning signs. How often do you find yourself having a deep sigh, frowning? I mean, literally like, I mean, frowning or wincing when you like hear something where you're like, oh. You know, because you feel obligated in some way or form. What about if you're distracted during important times and conversations? When somebody is literally telling you, hey, I've got something important going on in my life. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And you're doing the text down below the table thing, right? What about the automatic negativity to any interruption? Somebody walks to your office door or your cube. You're in the cube farm and somebody goes... Hey, can I just talk to you for a quick second? And you're like, no. Automatic response. No. Negative. Mm -mm. No. What about the state of your car? How clean is it? I'm not talking about on the outside. I'm talking about on the inside. What about your desk? What about your bedroom chair? That's where I got under conviction. (laughs) What about the state of your closet? Oh, Lord, if any of y'all could see my side of the closet. It's a funny thing. It's two islands in my closet. Shelly's on one side. It's a beautiful island. And then you've got the wild and crazy island where I live, right? So the state of my car, my desk, my bedroom chair, my closet probably reveals a mindset of uncluttered-ness versus clutteredness. As a matter of fact, there was a book that I read at one time It's called Ordering Your Private World by a man named Gordon McDonald. And he said, if I want to know what's actually going on in my heart, I've learned to start paying attention to the floorboards of my car because that usually tells me if I've been given too much to do in a daily basis or if I'm making time and creating margin. What about this? When's the last time you actually sat down and listened to good music? had a good discussion with good friends, or when you actually appreciated the good food that you're enjoying. And I'm not talking about you're listening to music in the background and you're like, oh, in the midst of all I'm doing, I listen to two, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then I'm on. I'm talking about when did you actually sit down and listen to good music just for the sake of good music? Because for most of us, these things tell us That there's some stuff going on in our life that's keeping us on the razor-thin margin. And if we don't have any margin whatsoever in our life, that is probably a list of warning signs. There's more, but this is 
not meant to make you feel bad. It's meant to be very clear on the introspection and say, maybe it's time to make a change or two. As a matter of fact, I got a great video. I've shared it before, but I love it. Every time I play it, it's, it's a long form of a commercial that AT&T put out. I am not receiving any promotional you know, kickbacks from AT&T, although I'd be happy to receive those AT&T if you're monitoring. Um, but let's check out this. It's called Keep Calm, Your Internet is On. I think you'll get a kick out of it too, just like I do. Check it out. I think the internet just went down. Huh. I'll just give it a sec. We'll come back. <laughs> Something just happened in the world and we have no idea what it was. I know what we can do. We can go to a movie. Yes. <laughs> What's playing? I'm sorry? Playing the film at the move. I, I don't know what's playing. I... I found a Thai place. Oh, good. Read a review. There's no review, it's just a phone number. How am I supposed to eat there if I don't know what other people think about it? Come, no. On! Work together, no, work together, work together. Do you have anything? No, I don't have anything. What's he doing? Oh, he's, he's streaming a cat video. <laughs> and the whole party's looking at Come on. I haven't seen a movie based on a comic book in so long. I know. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Good. This is great. Yeah, I was talking. Just... I don't need this. No. <laughs> we never do this anymore. No. <clears throat> I'll leave it up. Yeah, just, just in case it does come back. Just to be sure. Honey, is the internet back yet? Yes! I need to let her know that I'd like this. I'd like, 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 like. Honey. It's not swiping. Come on. Is the internet back on? No. Is the internet back on? No. Is it back on? No. Is it back Sweetie, call any one of your friends who has the internet and have them read us the internet. What? Have them start at the beginning. They're not answering. Oh, no. come on! All I'm asking for you is to be funny. Play the keyboard. Just play the keyboard right now! Get high-speed internet from AT&T. Keep calm, your internet's on. I think the internet just went down. Oh, we laugh because it's way too true, right? So John Eldridge in his book that we've been referencing and we've been preaching and teaching from speaks a lot about what we call graces. And I want to just kind of clarify what he's talking about and just very quickly just share this quote about the graces that he's speaking about. He said, Jesus heard even my service prayers. He came to my rescue and began to lead me into a number of helps and practices 
what I would call graces, simple things like a one-minute pause that were accessible and surprising in their power to restore. I began to enjoy my life with God so much more. I was finally experiencing the more of Him that I'd been wanting to so much, and I began to get my life back. As a matter of fact, I want to just talk about some of those uh, graces that we've already covered, and then I want to share with you a couple of things um, from Exodus chapter 16. So let's begin by reviewing the graces. This is the very first week we talked about the one-minute pause, just a way of kind of slowing down your life and being mindful of God. The benevolent detachment, in other words, giving yourself some space where you don't feel the, the, the need to be involved in every little piece and part of everyone else's lives, giving them some space and keeping space for yourself. The second week we talked about something, and, and I, I went through because I only had so much time. We talked a lot about unplugging, but we also talked a little bit in a surface way about drinking in beauty, and then the third one was just... Just simply get outside. Did you realize that in our modern world, you spend 93% of your life inside? Now, I don't know about you, but there's something twisted about that to me, that literally the, the world that we have created as mankind has somehow found its way to be a substitute for the things that God has created. Now, I don't think you need to be out in July and August like crazy in Houston, Texas, but Give yourself a little bit of time, especially right now, January, February, March, April, some of the beautiful months to get outside and just enjoy. Have you guys noticed how different you feel when you've spent time outside versus when you've been inside in the same four walls all day long? It's kind of the difference between how you feel at the end of a bike ride versus the end of an hour-long program. It's a huge difference. One of them feels like it's been fulfilling and positive, and one of them is kind of leaving you in this weird place that's a little hard to describe. You're satisfied, somewhat wanting more, somewhat disappointed, all in the same kind of space. It's a strange way to live, but we live that way constantly because we do a whole lot more of this on the right than we do those things on the left. And then last week, we talked about the hidden life of God in you, how God coming out of you and being a blessing to others, the one who says, I'm going to serve with my life, not to simply seek constantly to be served. That was based on chapter 13 of that book, Get Your Life Back. And then today, I want to talk about just one grace, and that is the joy of simple daily life. And this corresponds to chapter 14, if you're interested. I'm talking today from Exodus chapter 16, and if you flipped in your Bibles at home or here today, you grasp what I'm going to be preaching and teaching about. I'm going to be reading some of the passage and then speaking about it and then reading a little bit more of it. But it is a very, very important passage of Scripture that really is kind of talked about from Exodus 16 all the way through the end of the, uh, of the book. And so it's so important that you grasp what's going on. In chapter 16 of Exodus... The whole Israelite community sets out, and they're basically going towards the promised land. In the process of trying to go towards the promised land, they find themselves in a desert, interestingly, called the desert of sin. 
Interesting, right? And so as they go out towards the desert, they look around. And I think in many of our minds, we think about the children of Israel, and we think that there's a handful of them, maybe 100 or 200 or 300, when the truth of the matter is that there are literally hundreds of thousands of them. And the desert does not really produce a lot of extra things to, to live on and doesn't produce water or fruit or food in many ways. And they find themselves in the desert, and they have only one option and that is to call out to God and say, God, help us. We're in the middle of a desert. We can't provide for ourselves. What are we going to do? And then in the process of it all, the Israelites have a very, very human reaction. They say to Moses and Aaron, why did you lead us out of slavery? Now, hold on, hold on. Crazy question. Why did you lead us out of slavery? Well, because it was slavery, (laughs) right? Let's not get it twisted here. He led you out of slavery through God's strength and power and at God's direction. But as they find themselves in a difficult circumstance, as they find themselves in a barren place, they look around and say, God, will you help and will you intervene? And God says, yes. But before he has an opportunity to intervene, they begin to grumble And say, we'll fix this on our own. We'll just go back to Egypt where we all sat around pots of meat all the time. We had such a good experience there in Egypt. We'll go back there instead. And God says, are you kidding? To Moses and Aaron, he says, they're not grumbling against you. They're grumbling against me. Don't take this personal. But I'm taking it personal. That's what God is basically saying. And so then he says, I'm going to rain down bread on these people. I'm going to give them bread in the morning, and I'm going to give them quail and meat to eat at night. And so the Bible talks about this in Exodus chapter 16. Let's pick up in verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and it is going to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Your fight is with the Lord. He is the one who said he would provide, and he will. While Aaron was speaking to the whole assembly in in chapter 16, verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert and there the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard their grumbling. Tell them at twilight, you'll eat meat in the morning. You'll be filled with bread. That evening quail came, covered the camp. And when morning came, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when that dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared in the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw that, they said to each other, what is that? What is it? And by the way, the the Hebrew for what is it sounds like manna. (laughs) In a funny little twist of fate, this thing that reminds us that God always provides for us, is something that they couldn't figure out. So they said, manna, what is it? And for us, many times we see God providing, we're like, what is it? What is he doing here? They didn't know what it was. Moses said, that's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded everyone to go out and gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person in your tent. That's about three pounds per person. 
I'll get to that in a minute. The Israelites did what they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little, and they measured it by the omer. The one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone gathered just what they needed. Let me just share this with you. This is your something to learn. Very quickly, let's talk about this. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years because they did not enter into the presence and the power of God. When he said, enter into the promised land, I've won it for you. All you got to do is just show up and accept it. They said, oh, no, 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 we're going to listen to us. It makes more sense to us to, to get a different plan than yours, God. But instead of living by faith, despite that, obedient, that disobedience, God still graciously provided for their daily needs. He didn't say, y'all got what you wanted, so just enjoy and figure out how to feed yourself on your own. Isn't it good to know that even when we screw up, God's not ready to wash his hands of us and say, figure it out on your own. But instead, he says, you still need me even when you thought you didn't. I'm going to step in and give you what you can't provide for yourself. How many of you have been there before, right? Where you did what you thought you needed to do. And God said, I've got to still figure this thing out for you. You've disobeyed me and you've taken the wrong turn, but I still won't leave you. This is just like that lamb that wanders off and the good shepherd still goes looking for it. Very quickly, let me just talk to you about what happened. So God provides manna. It's bread on the, on the floor of the desert. And in an incredible way, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even as many as a million, are being fed by God's provision of quail nightly and manna in the morning, bread. But as they take it, they have a problem. Their problem is just like your problem and my problem, the kind that I talked a little bit about with the $1 bills. <laughs> $1 is good, two's even better. $2 is good, why not have 20? Right? And so what do they do? They start grabbing what God said that he would provide for them. They start putting it in their tents. And they say, We'll make sure we've got enough. God says, no, don't do that. I'll take care of it every single day. My faithfulness will be brand new every single day. Don't do that. No, 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 God. We'll take care of it. And so they put a bunch of it in there, in their jars, take it into their tents, and guess what happens? Overnight, it spoils, it rots, and it gets nasty. The Bible actually says that there were maggots in the bread. If you thought to yourself, I'm going to tune into the church service and he's going to talk about maggots. I bet you didn't think that, but I'm, happy, I'm just happy to share this with you today. They took the bread and as they tried to get too much, it ruined and rotted on them. But here's what's incredible. Here's what's amazing. After every you know, night just before the Sabbath... They could keep twice as much and it didn't go bad. Wow, supernaturally it was kept because God said, no, on the Sabbath, you're not going to do any work. You're just going to relax, rest, and worship me. And here's what's amazing to me. For most of us, we still don't grasp this. Think about this very quickly. The condensed part of Exodus chapter 16 is up here on the screen. Moses said to them, no one keeps anything extra. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots began to smell. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. They saved it till the morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink. But then there were some people that thought, well, I'm going to go out on the Sabbath day. And God didn't send anything to them on the Sabbath day. 
And so even though they were out there ready to pick up the morning's bounty like they had for six days in a row, there was nothing there. Then they went back to their tent, spent the night, came out, and there it was the next day. Here's the thing. Here's what I want to share with most of us. For many of us, we're waiting for the $20 bill when God says, I tell you what, for the next 20 days, I'll give you one of these. Each and every day. Each and every day, I'll give you just enough. Just enough. And just enough. And then when you need a little more, I'll give you just a little more. And then when you don't need, I might not provide. But what do we do in our minds? Oh, the Lord didn't provide this day. What? Now I'm worried and now I figure I got to take it on myself to do it. Isn't it interesting how nothing's really changed in human nature? Isn't it interesting how God said, no, this one day out of the week, I want you to relax and rest and get your priorities back on me instead of them being on you and all the things that are going on in your life. To this day, most scientists will tell you that People work better with a six-day work week or a five-day work week than a seven-day work week. But in human nature, you know what we say? Oh, if we work six days and got all that accomplished, that seventh day, and then just keep going and keep going and keep going, I'll get even more accomplished. Strange how that never seems to work out. You know what else is interesting? How God used to tell all the Israelites, plant and plant crops, but then every seventh year, don't plant crops Let the ground just lay there. Don't plant crops that'll take all the nutrients out of the soil. And everybody's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I mean, you can't go a whole year. I mean, you're going to have a problem. You won't have enough. But the strange thing is, is that science has figured out that if you constantly plant the same crops over and over and over again on the same set of soil, eventually you're having diminishing returns. Right? Isn't it interesting how God knew that? And for you and for me, we're redlining ourselves constantly, constantly no margin, constantly doing, 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 doing. We are human doings, not human beings. And the inner part of our lives is drying up and withering away. But we are doing, doing, doing. And then we wonder why we're experiencing diminishing returns. For most of us, we are what we do, not we are who we are. That's what this world has told us is important, so we chase after that. When everything in God's word tells us that's not how you get to have an actual real life. So very quickly, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Their daily manna was abundant. It was almost three pounds a person. It was a revealing of their obedience, whether or not they would keep only enough for that one day or if they would try to overgather. It was a supernatural daily thing. He daily meant for them to rely on him. And it was also a testimony to generations. At the end of this passage of scripture, the Bible tells us that God commands Aaron and Moses to take some of that bread, to put it in a jar. And then when there is a temple, he wants it to be in the Holy of Holies, a reminder that God's daily provision is there for his kids if they will just reach out and take it and cease to believe in themselves for their own good. It's so important. And here's the big idea. And I'm going to say it, and then we're going to say it aloud together. And so hopefully even you at home will say it aloud. But here it is. The daily awareness of God restores our souls. Do you remember when David wrote in Psalm chapter 23, 
that the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. Makes him lie down in green pastures, leads him beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, I want to I talk about something. I even wrote it in the Facebook post telling you what we were doing today. I want to talk about a shadow existence. Daily awareness of God restores our souls. Constant distraction causes a shadow existence. Would you guys say this out loud with me? Daily awareness of God restores our souls. Constant distraction causes a shadow existence. How many of you have ever had this this feeling and this experience of knowing you're in a place, but your mind and your heart's not in it? You know what? I know that there are people that do that every single Sunday that they come. I get it. I understand it's human nature and it's difficult to set aside the busyness and grasp that an hour or an hour and a half around God's word can change everything in your life, but it really can. It's one of those dollar bills that you're looking to be a 20 or a 100. It's not going to be like that. It's a consistent, constant practice that changes you. It's a daily small grace that changes you. But I want to talk about the idea of a shadow existence. And I'm going to hopefully make it in a way that you can kind of grasp what I'm saying. Very quickly, I'm moving quickly, but in our world, that's Sam's and Costco where you go and get a huge amount one time every three months and then wonder if you're going to be able to eat it down before it goes bad. Can I get an amen, right? Shelly and I don't shop at Sam's and Costco anymore. We had three, three daughters. We shopped at Sam's all the time. Now, hardly ever go. You know why? We can barely drink a gallon of milk before it goes bad, right? The Lord help us if we buy bananas. That's all I'm saying, right? So here's the deal. We're in a world where we think we go and get more, it will be better. The truth is, is that sometimes more is just simply more, and it's just more to carry. It's just more to worry about. It's more to protect and hoard than it is actually doing your soul any good whatsoever. In our world, we think more is constantly better. Now, I'm going I'm to jump to slide number 22, if you don't mind, Manuel. Real quickly, how many of you guys recognize this guy? Steve Jobs, right? How many of you realize what he's holding? I know this is, you're old if you do, but y'all know what that is, right? That's an actual iPod, now it's just an iPhone, right? And it plays your music on your phone and all that stuff. Some very, very interesting stuff about the iPod. Now, I, I'm gonna, we're going to take a little walk down memory lane real quickly, okay, with the thing about the iPod. Very interesting. Did you know that whenever it began to play music, the iPod played at a rate of 96 kilobits per second? 96 kilobits per second. So you would think to yourself that Steve Jobs at home, he's sitting there with his iPod just listening to all his music. Do you know what the truth of the matter was? Steve Jobs never listened to his music on his iPod that he created. You know what he listened to? Get ready for it. Vinyl records. Vinyl records. Don't, don't, don't be going amen now. Come on. Y'all are acting like, you know, I'm hipster. I'm good, man. I'm old school. I'm vinyl records. Hey, listen, don't. All right, whatever. Man, I, we're going to fight here in a minute, y'all. Here's the deal. This is what's crazy. When it first started playing, it was playing at 96 kilobits per second. And you know what? He said, it sounds good. It's there, but it doesn't sound rich. It doesn't sound full. It sounds like it's lacking in 
soul. How many of you knew I was going to say that? It's lacking in soul. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. You hear enough of it to think you're getting it all, but you're not. This is part of what I'm afraid of in our world, that you sitting at home, it's easier. I understand it's safe. I'm, I'm not trying to make a statement blanket from you know, today's moment, but I'm telling you, you miss something when you're here. You really do. And I can't fully explain it because it feels like you're getting it all. But in the world of music, they will tell you, even Spotify today is only streaming, today's Spotify is streaming at 160 kilobytes. Back in 2014, it was 96. Right now, it's 160. But here's what they did. They put people listening to some of the same exact music, one on 256 kilobytes per second and one at 96 kilobytes per second. 14% said they were moved by the music in a different way. And 66% felt more strongly about the things that they were feeling at this bit rate than the other. But the convenience of it all, the convenience of it all, right? We have traded convenience for importance in our world. I'm sorry, we just absolutely have. We have absolutely traded importance for convenience, convenience for importance. And this is the culprit in most of our situations because this is no longer a tool, it is our master. And my soul and your soul needs something a lot more than what this can provide. If this alone is what provides for you, you're missing it. Now, I'm not sticking my head in the sand. I'm encouraging you to get a Bible app, listen to the Bible on here. But I will also tell you one other thing. There's something different about me actually sitting down with a Bible and actually reading it with my eyes rather than just reading it with my ears. I retain more. I understand something in depth that I did not understand. Now, I'm not here trying to make you old school, but here's my problem with it. Here's our problem with it. We do this not because it's impacting. We do it because it's convenient, and God keeps on getting started to say second place but that ain't really right is it more like fifth more like sixth place like whatever we got left we'll give him and we end up collapsing into bed thinking that we didn't have a single moment to give to God and yet we had two hours to give to a show that we really didn't actually care about watching but it distracted us for a little while Now I'm just getting to where I'm meddling. <laughs> but isn't it interesting when the Lord says to his disciples who asked him the question, teach us how to pray. What did he say? This is the way you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day what we need just for today. Not a Costco size, not a Sam size. Let me come back again tomorrow and get once again in your presence. Can I tell you something? 
The myth of quality time will do your marriage and your, and your childhood. Dealing with your children, it'll do it in. Because the truth of the matter is, is that quality time is probably a thing. But for most of us, we don't actually give quality time. We pretend and vac- kind of placate ourselves instead of being there and saying, you know what? I gave quality time. Look, man, just give a lot of time. Throw a lot of time at it and then see what is quality because quality usually is what sticks. <laughs> I mean, it's what sticks. And, and to this day, there are times that I gave to my girls that I would never give back. And I'm so glad that when they left, I didn't regret that I didn't spend that time. I had enough regrets as it was. I had enough as it was. So I, I don't want to stay too long here, but as Jesus said to his disciples daily, let's go to another famous passage of scripture that reminds us of the daily. Do you remember that old passage in Lamentations? The only passage in Lamentations that any Christian actually knows. Your mercies are new every morning, O Lord, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Even became an incredible old hymn. But here's what it says in context. Because of the Lord's great compassion, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Amen. They are new, what? Every morning. God doesn't give us more than we can handle and carry. But every morning that we need him, he is there to show up and give us new mercies every single day. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, what? I will wait on him. Lord, you can speak to me as long as you do it in the next 20 seconds. Go. I wonder why the Lord's not talking. Anyway, got things to do. It's silly, right? I mean, it's, it's funny, but it ain't funny. How we demand that God get on a modern man's schedule and God's like, uh, I'll pass. But you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That means if you're there watching the clock constantly, you've missed out on the whole point. And notice, I will wait for him. It is good to wait quietly. Why in the midst of this passage of scripture that we declare to be a beautiful passage where the Lord's mercies are new every single morning, why is it that he tells us two different times that we need to wait? It's because for most of us, we are busy doing and not waiting. I'm moving on. Very quickly, I want to talk about something that I believe can be a revolutionary thought. I mentioned this, and I want you to just clue into this. I want you to clue into the revolutionary thought that many things in our lives are not problems to be solved, but instead they are tensions to be managed. Many things in our life and in our world, at our job, with our kids, with our spouse, they are not things that get solved, they are things that get managed. But for most of us, (laughs) for most of us, we walk into the garage and go, what? 12 months and this is what it looks like? We thought we fixed it last January. I know it's just at the Puckett's house, right? It's just at the Puckett's house. We walk in there and we're like, this is what it looks like with 12 years or 12 months of neglect. It only looks like 12 years, right? 
What happened? Here's the problem. Daily life happens in and out of our garage and all these little things just kind of begin to collect. And we'll put it here and we'll come back to it later. And then we'll put that over in the corner over there and we'll fix that when we can. And when the time comes, we'll get back to that. And we look around and we thought that the problem was solved last January. We didn't realize that we would interact with it for 365 days. And then we'd look around and it was a mess again. Why? Because it's not a problem to be solved. It is a tension to be managed. So here's why it's important. If you think your kids, if you think your marriage, if you think your spiritual life, if you think your financial life is a problem to be solved, if you think your health is a problem to be solved and not attention to be managed, you are wrong. And you are pushing the people in your life that love you away because you're trying to fix them, not connect with them. You try to fix them, they will flee from you. If you try to connect with them and say, hey, As the little things come up, which they inevitably do, we're going to work our way through it. Why? Because you are so valuable. I would never look at you as a problem to be fixed. Instead, we'll just manage the tension and we'll go through life together. This can revolutionize your life. At work, say this with me. Say, I thank God. I thank God. I'm going to say it one more time. Say it with me. I thank God that my work is full of tension because the minute that that tension is done and a problem has been solved, guess who needs a new job? <laughs> me. I need a new job because I did the fixing and now there's no more job to be done. Isn't it amazing? Jobs are full of tensions to be managed, not problems to be fixed. You can say thank you because... It provides a weekly paycheck, not a one-time paycheck. Can I get an amen on that? By the way, best way to feel grateful for your job is to not have one. Very quickly, here is the truth. For most of us, we desire something that keeps us out of this shadow existence, this thing where we get just enough to know the sense of it, but not the real power of it. We get the essence, but we don't really change. We get a little bit of that shadow, but not the substance of the shadow. For many of us, we're living our lives in a shadow existence. And for you and for me, we've been told that the thing that we need to do is look for the big fix or to put it on the to-do list. I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to go according to this book. And I'm going to tell you, it's not a 20 out there waiting for you, but it's probably a lot of these in your life laying around just waiting to be picked up. A lot of little things that you begin to do. Here's how you can apply this message. Very quickly, here is the I apply by. Choose a practice or two to put into your routine. Here's what I mean. Those graces... Those things where you say, I'm going to just pause for one minute during the day. I'm just going to pause for just a minute and let God speak. I'm going to, I'm going to let some things go. I'm going to delete some apps. I'm going to cease to be constantly in Netflix or on social media or whatever it might be. I'm going to let some of those things die. 
I'm going to give myself some space and some grace. And as those things fall away, it will be very, very interesting for most of us to hear suddenly, wow, great is thy faithfulness. I waited just a little bit more on the Lord today. I had a little less on my plate and God began to speak just like he used to speak. One of the things that he says in this book, in this chapter is, he says, I had a friend tell me, I used to be funnier. I used to be funnier. And the reason that that gets me emotional is I've realized that as I approach the half century mark, a lot less makes me smile and a lot more makes me bitter than it used to. That's a bad place to be. But until I begin to make some space for some of the junk that's cluttered my life, I can't say to God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Just like you provided manna and quail, you will provide for me. You didn't bring me this far to only bring me this far. You've got more still yet planned for me, but I've got to make room so I can receive. God, may there be grace and space in our lives for you to work, for you to speak, and some of the weight that we're carrying that you don't want us to carry to fall away and go away and stay away. (laughs) And Lord, forgive me for being the one who invited it in and put it on my own back in the first place. Maybe you need to choose one of these practices like getting outside or taking a one-minute pause or whatever it might be, and you need to do those things this week. Here are some suggestions. Just want to leave them up. Just very, very quickly. And if you notice, there's not a single thing on there that has to do with prayer or Bible study or anything like that. It's not because I'm not a person who believes in those things. It's because for most of us, That's one more thing on our to-do list that we don't react positively to or have space for until we begin to give up some things and create some margin. I shared something with you guys last week and I'm going to end here. It's a very, very interesting uh, thing. (laughs) I talked with you guys last week about the the atlas. Maybe you remember, maybe you're here, you remember I brought the atlas. There's actually a picture of the atlas. I talked about how we left Houston and we went up to Mount Rushmore, across into Montana, down into Yellowstone Park, across Idaho and all that stuff and all over. 7,000 miles of a road trip. It was the mother of all road trips for the Puckett family. This is still the one that we think back on. This is still the road trip that we love, that we talk about. And there are places that I saw that I absolutely love. The truth of the matter is, there's a, there's a picture of me and the girls and stuff. And Shelly's taking the picture. That's the girls. You can see what age they were. To this day, I don't think about the Redwoods. I don't think about Yellowstone. I don't think about all these different places without thinking of one memory 
that was not one of those places on that map. I mean, it's on the map, but it wasn't. You know, we went through and we circled all the big places that we went. But there was something that happened. One day we were driving, and if you know my oldest daughter, Tori, she's an author. She loves to write. She wrote a book. And she was proofreading the book during that time. So as we were traveling, all five of us in that car, we said, read us the book. And she said, but I, I'm proofreading and I'm going to stop. And we're like, it don't matter. We got all the time in the world. We're going to be in this car for a long time. Just read us the book. She started at page one. It was a joke. She'd read, find a sentence that she wanted to change. She'd just stop. And we'd all go, buffering. <laughs> And she'd write down the better word. Some of us would suggest here or there. And then she'd pick it back up. We read her whole book on that trip as a family. I remember being on the highway in Idaho and being struck that I don't want anything else in my life than what I got right here. In this moment, I've got the beauty of God around me. I've got my family with me. My daughter is sharing a gift with our family and we are so connected to him and to us I don't want another thing in the world and that's not on the map but it's in the memory I'm not here to talk about don't fly places that's not what I'm saying at all but I'm saying that we can even make our restful vacations about checking to-do lists and never leave space for our souls to be restored. And I just would encourage you, give the Lord space. Give yourself grace and allow Him to restore your soul. Please, dear God, help us to not think that the important things in our lives are found on a to-do list, but instead draw us close and draw us into your presence. And in that place, may we be transformed by you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray.